always ask everyone this, would you consider yourself quirky? Of course, absolutely. Welcome Quirky Queerdos to another episode of Quirky and or Queer. In this episode, I sit down with Connor McNeil, also known as the newly crowned winner of the Swine 2018 at Halifax Pride, Cobra Clawfield. Connor and I sit down to talk about his experiences of otherness, his experiences of growing up around the world, his special relationship with his family, and his hopes for his artistry. Connor is incredibly fabulous, unique, and creative, and his drag persona, Cobra, is an extension of that. She is all badass punk, chic meets 80s, Blade Runner aesthetic, married with a classic movie star glam. This interview and episode is a reminder to celebrate your otherness, especially if it guides you towards the art and media you love. Speaking with Connor reminded me of the things I love. I tried a new recording setup for this episode as well. Uh, Connor was on a lavalier mic and I was using the Yeti. I didn't get it perfect, but I'm going to keep trying. So let's get into it, shall we? This is Quirky and or Queer. And my name is Connor McNeil. Okay, and we're here in your new apartment. You just moved here? Yes. How long ago? Uh, just uh, two weeks ago, actually. So it would have been Saturday. Um, it was a really busy day. Uh, very, very hectic. Uh, didn't even get to meet the landlord that day, and they didn't, didn't even do like a, an inspection or anything. So I, yeah, it was a, it was a draining day. Um, but you know, I, I'm happy with it. Like way happier with every with everything here than my last place for sure. But. And you're, oh, you'll be 25 in a couple weeks. And you have your own one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. <laughs> like, way more grown up. When I came in, you were like, yeah, welcome to my new apartment. And I was like, I live in my mom's basement. You're already older than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't always the case. I mean, there's been, at the end of the day, like, everyone's different, so. True. Yeah. Yeah. I um at the end of each podcast, I like to thank my sponsors, and I only have a couple sponsors, which is fine. Um, and uh, I love it when people do sponsors. Wonderful. But I always consider my main sponsor my mom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I create a different name for her every time too. I'm like, this is to my main sponsor, G Money. Cause you, you know what? Like, I don't blame you because I feel like I would sponsor my mom all the time because. She is mostly the reason why things get fixed in my apartment. Yeah. Like, she, like I don't know if I, like when I chat with my landlord, I'll say, "Hey, this needs to get fixed." He'll say, "Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Nothing gets done." And then when I tell my mom, my mom goes full, you know, angry bear mode, and <laughs> then she and then shit gets actually actually yeah. gets done, and then I'm like, "Oh, awesome, yay, love that for me." <laughs> where, do, where does your mom live? She lives in Windsor. So, oh, that's not yeah, far. So she lives all the way out in the valley. Um, she you... actually just went out with my dad the other night. They went to this really nice cottage. Oh. Um, I'm really like loving that for them right now. Like I, I love my family to bits. They, they're the ones that helped me move in. Like my mom and my dad have helped me to move in and get all help with you know help me clean out my last place too. So we, we didn't even spend money on like a maid service or anything. Like yeah. my parents are wonderful. Like what I, a I love them. Gift that is though, like to have a good relationship with your family. Oh my god. Especially yeah. when you're like in the queer community, it's just like I know it's changing and things are changing for lots of people, but like you I still know so many folks who don't Oh have god, yeah, I know. It's it's really it's terrible. Um, you know, it's it, it sucks when you can't relate to it. There's sometimes where I have I don't know if I really want to get into it. Um yeah. uh I just know it hasn't always been easy, but mm-hmm. It's certainly been better, though. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we're all human. I think I remember when I realized my parents were just as complicated as me and I would be like, Oh yeah, they're just doing their best. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a learning curve for, you know, it's, it's a generational thing, but I've definitely have met older people who have been way more uh, accepting um, throughout most of their life than, some of the things that like I've seen from yeah. my family, like, but you know, I feel like we all learn at our own pace, um, and I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt for so long until yeah. you know, in, until eventually, learning does take place and yeah. maturity. You go by Connor. Yes. I also know you as Cobra. Yes. Cobra Caulfield. Cobra Caulfield. Caulfield. Yes. Um, and so I always ask everyone this: Would you consider yourself quirky? Of course, absolutely. Um, I feel like I've been really outside the box for, uh, I don't know, a long time. I'd say I never really fit in um, all the way back from like elementary school. I'd say like I didn't really have a plethora of friends. I was never really popular. Um, I would I would say I was more of a floater. Like I would kind mm-hmm. of like everyone was cool with me, but when push comes to shove, I, I did get picked on and stuff um, for. Um, for, for, you know, you know, being that person outside the box and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying different things and enjoying things that weren't of the norm. I know it sounds kind of hipster and very like counterculture or whatever, but I think that's what I really enjoyed. Uh, You know, I, I was looking at things uh, at my school and there was a lot of stuff that I just wasn't really drawn to or inspired by. And I was mostly looking through magazines, um, media like anime and stuff especially like I think anime really was like a uh, a thing that I really gravitated towards when I was in high yeah. school and it really uh, inspired my uh, I'd say like a lot of like my aesthetic style and stuff and mm-hmm. and when I kind of um, uh, had that realization that oh my god like i want to style my hair like a dragon ball z character or something <laughs> like that people were like oh um, that's uh, that's a, that's a that's a weird hairstyle choice but all right um and there's like there's just been some altercations and stuff that i've had with various different people even in like when i was living in germany um and i went through like an emo phase because uh, you know i feel like if you didn't go through an emo phase then um you definitely weren't living. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, not always. I'm. I'm just mostly. It's in jest, but uh, yeah, I'm still in the emo phase mentally. Not so much aesthetically, but mentally. Yeah, for sure. yeah, for sure. Kind of that. I mean, I like the whole like the, the aesthetic of emo for some reason. Like, I liked the skinny jeans. I liked the yeah. cool abstract hair and stuff. Um, I wasn't really into like the the mood, like the, like I'm depressed or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I was still very much like bubbly and jovial. Um, but I definitely liked that really like outlandish style and I gravitated yeah. towards that. Um, so when I was living in Germany, um, there were, there, uh, there was a school that I did go to. It was like a boarding school. It was predominantly British. Yeah. And so of course we adopted that like, a British way of life and British culture was definitely ingrained into the whole system yeah. there. So there were, um, there were people like chavs, which is essentially kind of mm-hmm. like, um, 
a low budget jock gangsta kind of like style. <laughs> low and, budget jock. Yeah, and they were really like, and they would wear like fake Burberry okay. and have like orange makeup, and like if they were a girl, and they'd have this thing called a Croydon facelift, which is basically like you scrape your hair back so much that like you to create a ponytail. And it takes away all your wrinkles, fine lines, or whatever. And that was uh, that was a and that was a look for not for a, certain people at that school. And not it not was a new reason to grow my hair out. Yeah, I know. And I'm all like, <laughs> imagine for a minute what the world would look like and feel like if we could live without fear of being challenged or restricted because of how we dress or express ourselves. In my vision of what that world looks like, I see folks who are living their lives like Connor unapologetically and fabulously. Growing up, Connor got picked on for being that person outside the box. However, his sense of otherness also aligned with what he was drawn to. This past summer, Connor competed in the Swine, Halifax Pride's drag queen contest for first-time drag queens. You get assigned to a drag mother and or family, get a few weeks to practice a routine, then you perform in front of hundreds of people and see your drag self for the first time. I also competed in the swine, but three years ago. I definitely did not win, and the experience was overwhelming, but also incredible. This year, despite me being on the receiving end of a flying dildo, which was launched into the audience from a drag performance and smashed directly right into my head, this year was spectacular. Cobra's performance was like electricity. She stomped, snarled, and danced to the number, and the crowd was loving it. Uh, it was clear she was slightly outside the box or the norm of traditional drag, but I think Connor knew exactly what she was going to be uh, or how she was going to be put together and expressed. He drew on inspirations from within anime, fashion, and music. In listening to Connor speak, I feel like his exploration of gender and style through Cobra is a celebration of the parts of him which were most challenged growing up. I definitely felt like I was outside of that spectrum of there was people listening to kind of like the same repetitive dance music, which mm -hmm. I, I actually really enjoy now, but at the time I was very like, Ugh, like ugh, screw that. Um, and I think from, I would say like throughout most of grade eight and grade nine, um, I was very much into like heavy metal and I was really into like that whole like screamo thing. I don't know, I don't know why, but wow. I to this day, I only listen to that kind of music when I'm at the gym for like ang like for just to like, oh yeah, let's let's fucking deadlift, let's fucking squat, let this really heavy metal music and uh, um but uh I would still say I'm I'm more open to other types of genres. And I think what helped me uh get into other genres was Lady Gaga mm -hmm. in grade nine because yeah. she was kind of like my Madonna really like yeah. um I wasn't really into Madonna that much when I was aware of her but when Lady Gaga came on the scene I just I was loving her music I loved her style and it helped me see that being different was fine yeah. and being different was okay and it made me more comfortable with it so mm -hmm. um so I definitely had like um a really big uh, infatuation with with her and her whole um her, her ideals and she's still very much a an influential person in my life for sure it's funny i remember when her first video came out for um just dance oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and i remember thinking like 
she'll go away. And then Poker Face came out, and I was like, hmm. And I didn't really like either. And then I heard her sing the jazz version of Poker Face on a radio show. Yeah. And I was like, I my assumptions are blown. So I, she's just done so much for so many people. So she's shifted culture. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The thing is, I felt very similar to it at first. I wasn't sure. I wasn't in that mindset of she'll go away. I just thought like this song. These songs are good, but can she do better? Then I think it was either the jazz version or when Bad Romance started yeah. took her. When Bad Romance came out, I'm like this. This bitch is, she's not going anywhere. It just like, sounded like nothing else. I know. I was, so weird. I remember the song came out when I had gotten swine flu for the first time. Oh. So like, it was in grade 10. That's when the whole swine flu. For the first flu, time? Yeah. Like it was, <laughs> that was when, that was when I was like in bed and listening to all this music, like all much music. And then Bad Romance came out and I'm like so sick. But I remember, I, I felt like what I was seeing was a fever dream because when I saw her giant eyes, I was like, oh. This is so otherworldly. <laughs> I loved it, and I don't know. I still embrace her to this day for how crazy she is. Um, I definitely like that she's she's still very much that because I thought for a while she was taking a break from that whole um, very artsy, very weird avant-garde yeah. kind of like looks that she was doing, um, and. Now she's kind of going back into it because she was at the Met Gala and I saw her like you know campy looks and I yeah. you know was loving that so that was that was a fun year I know people weren't really a big fan of the Met Gala this year because they were like oh it's it's not really that camp and mm-hmm. in a way that they were right but you know it's still there's still great outfits I was like I wasn't that I wasn't really poo pooing over anything that much I was like you know what I had a good time with it it looks yeah. it looked cool like whatever and the whole the whole thing of it is like I love that we can we can have a world where that exists. But like for me, when I think about how much money is spent and everything else, like I just yeah. like, sends me to a weird place in my brain. But also it's like, I, I just wish that was accessible to everyone. I, yeah. I mean, I understand that for sure. I wish it was accessible for more people. Yeah. Um, I know they really try to like save it for like the, the, like society's elite but then you see people like james charles there and you're like oh i want to ask as well so we you said that you identify as quirky and that that before we even started recording you'd mentioned that word a couple times yeah and then the other one is queer do you identify as queer absolutely yeah 100 percent. yeah are there any other labels or identities that you describe yourself to be um i'd say to be honest uh gender fluid i'd say um when I'm dressing as a guy, um, and people can realize that they see that, I would want people. I would want people to refer to me as as him, yeah. and they use male pronouns. And then when I do drag, I'd very much like to have um, more feminine pronouns yeah. for sure. It's 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 that kind of mindset really. In that regard, um, I I'd say in that in that whole spectrum of gender identity. Uh, it, it was more of like a, a recent realization mm-hmm. that I I was just getting really tired of doing the same song and dance as a guy all the time. And that's why I really wanted to get into drag because I wanted to show that even when I'm in drag, I like that you can play with other, you can play with male and female aspects of yourself. I mm-hmm. like that. I do like the whole non-binary aspect of it. Like when you think of people like, like Milk, um, and even like Aquaria, Viola Chachki, I know I'm like sh- t- talking about the 
some the, the white like snowflake. Well, not snowflakes, but like the the the. I don't know. People, when I say those names, people aren't really like, oh, like you could have named so many other people. But they're the ones that come to my head because they have said things like uh, non-binary, gender fluidity, and, and even Adore Delano has said mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing about themselves. And I was like, I really am fascinated with that idea yeah. of like just blurring the lines between female and, and male. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone were to say he to me in drag, um, I wouldn't be mad, but I would be like, mm, why aren't you like, why aren't you saying female pronouns? But yeah. I'm not going to be like angry or whatever, but it's just, it's just one of those things that, uh, it, it's, it was more like a recent discovery that I feel like it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like at the end of the day, um, whatever I choose to present as, uh, I'd like people to follow suit and I'd like people to kind of respect the, that whole thing like I, I'd like people to kind of realize that for sure when I'm presenting as either female or male or whatever but I'd say at the most part uh, long story short gender fluid yeah. yeah and I think it's important to say that like I think everyone has the right to be they should be able to determine how they're considered in this exactly world. so um, for sure uh, I don't know there's like so many different people that really do inspire me with with that whole thing they're just like well some people say i don't identify as anything i'm just blank i'm just my name and that's it like and i completely respect that too um i think labels make people comfortable like they make people more safe and they feel at ease with a, with a label because it's just an easy way to explain to someone without having to get into a big hullabaloo like argument about it and i understand that for sure yeah i guess the challenge for um in the world is that we use labels and codification of like concepts um in different ways based on community so it gets confusing because like people like will say one thing and it means something for this community and it means something means something for this community and they have a different emotional response to that so it's so tricky but it's like i think we're getting better i think people are becoming more aware of things you know what i mean like being able to say like I don't think globally we all have the same idea of what social justice is or what queerness is. And I also love that it's ambiguous, but it's, uh, I think we're getting to a place where we can all just be whatever we want, hopefully, yeah. one day. Yeah, I, I would very much like to kind of live in a world where that's the, that's, those are the core principles too. Like, yeah. just respect people. Like, just anyone can do, uh, can present as whatever they want without having any kind of right. negativity being thrown at them just like you know as long as they're not like being an asshole and killing people like let people live man like, sometimes i'm know. so astounded that life is as hard as it is oh god it's yeah it's like it could be so much easier anyway, that's a whole nother kettle oh yeah exactly Actually, that'll be my next podcast <laughs> oh yeah absolutely let's yeah. Yeah. part two yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's something really special about queer folk and folks who feel a sense of otherness and artists that they find comfort and community in. I swear, Shirley Manson and the band Garbage saved my life. Uh, I mean, like, talk about a dream podcast guest. Help me, help me make that happen. <laughs> um, yeah, she was definitely my hero and one of those people that I just, uh, just always found like a calling towards. She was my Madonna.
Up next, Connor talks a bit more about how he got into the drag scene. So tell me, how did you get involved with drag? Um, I got involved with drag simply just by being t tenacious, I guess, and just, um, well, I was familiar with some of the local queens just by um, just going to a drag show and just seeing the, you know, the, the local talent and stuff. And uh, uh, I was friends with um, Cynthia Stiltz, mm -hmm. like uh, also goes by uh, Lou I. Mm -hmm. um, I met him at Sephora, friggin' really, really nice guy. Yeah, um, so nice. Very nice. Um, and uh, I walked in one morning because I wanted to go and get a skincare product or something, and I saw him there. He, he went up, right up to me, and I said, oh my god, like, Lua, how are you? And, uh, and we started talking, um, and I, like, long story short, I just said, like, hey, I'm really interested in drag, and I'd really like to see what I could do to get into it, and he said, have you... Have you, are you aware of the swine? I said, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I know of the swine, but I didn't know how to go about uh, being in it or where to ask. And uh, he just said, like, I'm not going to be a mother this year, but I know that Eureka is in charge. So if you want to speak with someone, just yeah. go speak with Eureka. So, you know, I dropped Eureka a DM. And uh, about a few weeks later, I didn't think I was going to get in. I thought, like, oh, like... Like, you know, you kind of get into that mindset where you're like, oh, like, they don't like me. And you kind of, like, let your anxiety kind of, like... internal narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's the conspiracy theory <laughs> that you make I'm, about your life. That's I'm what well anxiety aware. is. It's conspiracy <laughs> theories about your life. And, um, you know, like, maybe, like, a week or two pass, and then Eureka's just like, hey, like, you're going to be you're gonna be in the swine. And I'm like, oh, my God, cool. Now it's like when shit got real. That's when I'm like, okay, now I kind of need mm -hmm. to really think about what... I want and what I want to lean into as far as like my drag persona went and yeah. um, I I you know I got in touch with my mothers and I was pretty much showing them what I would want my style to kind of be like and I'd say like uh, one of the ones I really was drawn towards were well, well two I'd say Sasha Velour mm -hmm. and um, and and Aquaria too because I felt like they were and, and well David Bowie, I guess, like very like chameleons, very, um, very abstract, very like just visually stunning people. Mm -hmm. And I loved their aesthetic. I loved their look. And I like the way, especially Sasha Bloor, I love her approach to um, their queerness and yeah. their and their way about tackling social issues and mm -hmm. stuff. And that's something I would like to incorporate more into my drag like that whole punk rock I, that's yeah. what i like about drag it feels so punk rock to yeah. me it's like yeah fuck you gender norms i'm gonna do drag and it's i don't know i i, I like how punk rock it is it's punk that's like yeah. why i like adore delano so much because that's how like she that's how she feels about drag and i was like yeah, yeah. like i like that it's just like it's a big like middle finger to the to the gender binary yeah. and i love that part of dope drag and that's why i really wanted to get into it and the way drag has shifted over the years too, like how status quo it is in mainstream in a lot of ways, oh, but still uh, yeah. pushing boundaries. And like, I think there's just, as it shifts, I think it naturally has to move to incorporate more performers. Oh my God, who yes. Do more work that's like progressive and pushy and like. I agree. It has to keep evolving. Otherwise it's just going to stagnate. Like yeah. it's, um, it's coming to that point right now that I feel like if Drag Race were to evolve as a show, they need to bring more kings. They need to, they need to have.
Connor and his drag persona, Cobra Clawfield, uh, feel sort of like a, a progression of drag to me. They exist simultaneously as an expansion of gender, glam, and rock edge. Media has readily embraced parts of queer culture, but like we mentioned in the interview, there are many communities and identities which exist beyond what the mainstream embraces. Drag, in popular media anyway, is sort of one note, but things are shifting. It's pretty wild to me that thing, like people have grown up with Drag Race. I, I mean, I was a full-grown adult making all kinds of poor decisions and definitely not doing my taxes when the first season came out. Uh, but I mean, let's be real, I didn't do my taxes for like many seasons after that. But now Drag Race has grown up and so have I. I mean, I am still recording this from my mom's basement, but I at least do my taxes now. Media influences how we see ourselves, and this is true for many in the queer community as well. Connor and I dig a little deeper into his explorations of drag and identity with this big, bold, and expansive question. I ask him, who would you do in a Snatch Game? I would do David Bowie, actually, really? I think. I would do David Bowie or like James Charles or something, but David James Bowie, Charles. like, I don't know, just like, the, like I, I feel like I'm impersonating, when if I'm impersonating somebody, it's usually like, that really like British kind of like I love impersonating British people and British yeah. rockers and that whole like chill British vibe like the way that they act in interviews it's mm -hmm. there's something I'd like to adopt in my persona like that whole rock star vibe of just yeah. being so chill and relaxed because that is very much not me in real life like I am mm -hmm. not I'm very neurotic I'm very I can get very stressed about things and I stumble over my words but when I see so so many chill composed rock stars in these interviews um uh, not the asshole ones like oasis or whatever but like when i see like david bowie's interviews or like lady gaga's they're just so like i consider lady gaga a rock star like because that's how oh, yeah. she views herself and i'm like yeah like i see it she's very chill she 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 has that sense of ownership like you were talking about yeah. and that's the kind of that's the kind of like life I want. I want more ownership in the way that I choose to present my drag and mm -hmm. my persona and all that stuff, yeah. So when you're thinking back to like you as a kid or as a teen, is there a moment that stands out where you're like, I'm different? Oh, um, I mean, I don't think. Well, I'd say as a teen, it would have been when I was like 13, 14. Um, it was like how I, I very much romanticized being different to the extent that I kind of had this superior attitude I guess being like oh like whatever like I don't fit the mold but that's okay because mm, whatever these plebeians can't get on my level <laughs> like like you kind of get that like whole like Ugh, like I'm a hipster like and I don't follow trends or whatever and then you know I stopped thinking like that because I just said like at the end of the day I was bullied for being weird but I, I it was one of those things that was like, well, you can either acclimate to everyone else or you can go against the grain and people, you know, you'll, you'll get shot on for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't visualize a world where I would be like everybody else. So I knew I was different. I knew I was weird. I didn't know I was gay, though. That was the thing. Like, I didn't know I was, um, I was queer. Uh, I just knew I was different. Like I thought, I thought it was just like metrosexual. Like you know, like I don't know. It's it was very in terms of sexuality. I didn't know that it was normal to be 
like gay or queer or anything like that. I thought it like I was very much under the assumption that it was uh, a choice um, in the feelings that I was having for guys. I didn't even know notice that that was sexual. I thought like, oh, I'm just noticing guys, but that doesn't mean anything because I'm supposed to be with a girl. Like, and so I was dating girls when I was uh, 14, and even when I was like as um, old as 16, I was da I was dating girls uh, even in high school because. Um, when I was at that boarding school, you know, being gay was, like, it was stigmatized, uh, and people, you were going, that's gay, uh, they would say things like, uh, you, you're a poof, like, which is, like, a derogatory term for, you know, it, it's more or less, uh, it's just a derogatory word for a, a yeah. homosexual, and it was, um, people could sense that, people could say, like, Connor, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, and because it was so stigmatized, it made me go, you know, it made me want to stay away from it. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't like that people are just assigning this label to me when I don't even know. Um, and and the fact is, people were treating it like it was a bad thing. So it took a while for me to fully, fully come out of the closet. It wasn't until I was like, eight, like 18, mm -hmm. 19, it was around like 18. That's when I finally came out because I fully came to the realization and... I it, I knew that's when I really took ownership of who I was, was when I was in college, because everyone was new to each other. Um, it, it was, and it, the, what I carried from junior high, I carried over into high school, and I carried what, that whole identity into college for the first few semesters, and then eventually, um, I kind of came I remember having a distinct sense that I was different before I knew I was gay. I definitely knew I was different well before I came to the conclusion I was queer. Um, Connor grew up in a boarding school in a culture where people assigned the identity of gay to him when gay was used as a slur, when people would use gay as a derogatory term, meaning less than. So often young queer folk are othered and given labels because there is a quality or qualities that they present or that they have which reflect difference, which excludes them from the norms of societal expectations. It isn't fair and it isn't kind. So much of learning to become okay with otherness in any sense reflects the need for self-determination, knowing you have the power to write your own story. Earlier, Connor said, I want more ownership in the way I choose to present my drag and persona. I feel like there are many folk out there who want more ownership over their identity, but dominant systems and ideologies create and sustain inequitable cultures and societies. Connor was considered gay by others before he had the opportunity to embrace his own queerness. We live in a weird world. I'm glad Connor is becoming who he is. The world's a better place for it. Connor talks a bit more about his experience of coming out by accident and his experiences of dating online. Okay, so... It was to my best friend, actually. Um, but at the time, she wasn't my best friend. Um, it was, uh, I was, I was in the computer lab. I just sat down, and I was talking about uh, the online dating I've been doing. I was on Plenty of Fish, but I didn't want anybody to know that I was on Plenty of Fish looking for men. Uh, because if they were like, oh, like, Connor's Plenty of Fish, let's go look at the profile, and then they'll see that I'm seeking men. So I was really, I uh, was really trying my best to be secretive about what dating sites I was on. So... Um, when my friend asked me, she's like, 
so um, she was like, oh, what dating sites are you using to see these people? And I'm like, I'm really thinking of dating apps. I wasn't familiar with a lot of them. I just, the first, the, the first uh, name that came to my head for a dating app was Grinder. I'm like, Grinder, yeah. Like, I, I didn't know what Grinder was. I thought that was like an app uh, that was a dating app that was meant for like everybody. And, uh, and uh, she just was like, Connor, you do realize that's a gay dating app, right? And I could have like said like, oh no, I didn't mean Grinder. I meant something. I think I just said, Oh fuck it, I'm gay. <laughs> like it was. Ah <laughs> oh, fuck it, I'm gay. I can't do this anymore. That like, should be your tagline. Ah oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck I'm it, gay. I'm gay. Like I want that's kind of what. It, yeah, like I like guys. And then, then my friend is like, turns around to our my other two friends, and they're like, "Did you hear? Connor's a gay man now." And that was it. That was pretty much. That's uh, and I hadn't told my parents yet. They were like the first people that I told. And then. That's, and after that, there was um, a little bit of an awkward moment between one of those people. Um, they weren't a fan of it, but they were also going through a really rough time in their life, and they kind of took out their anger out on me, and they thought, like, I was being a secret, like, I was being secretive and weird about it, and, I mean, I, I, I was really, really upset about that, and I thought that I was at fault, and then it, it took me a while to realize, like, you know what? she shouldn't have been as mad at me as I, like, I didn't deserve that. And a part of me still wants to really talk about that because I feel like we we, we never really buried the hatch. Like, we kind of just, gla you know, glossed over it. And I mean, like, I'm over it. But I still feel like since that person is in, like, kind of in my life, I feel like we there's still some unfinished business. Like, we still need to talk about, like, you know what? You made me seek therapy, you know that. Like, like I, I did. Like, I, it was a shitty time in my life. Like, I really thought I was a heel, like a terrible person for not coming out, like from the get go. But I didn't know, and I, it was, it was just really, like, I didn't, you know, I was going through a lot, and I wasn't sure how to tell my parents because I, I didn't know how they were gonna react, and it was. I wasn't doing it for selfish reasons. I was doing it because I wasn't sure what the outcome was going to be. It wasn't to like inflict any damage on anybody. I never did it to hurt anybody. So when someone tried to make it about them, I at first I thought like, oh, like this is um, this is my fault. I'm so bad. Like, I'm a terrible person. And then I went and saw therapy, and then they were like, this is not your fault. Like you need to just realize that. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. And then. Eventually, I was able to kind of uh, be more confident about my sexuality and confident in who I was. And eventually, um, you know, things got better. Things did get better. I started dating more, and uh, yeah, and that kind of shaped who I became today. <laughs> it's wild to me how much queer people that I've spoken to can learn to be accountable or uh, responsible for, yeah. like, and the things that we accommodate, like... You just tell me like feeling responsible for like coming out on your own time. Yeah. Like it's it's wild that we, we live in a complex world where people have different emotional responses to things, but it's just like it's really powerful to hear you even say like they were going through a not so great time and like you can kind of still put yourself in the, their shoes. And then I wonder like did that person do that for you? But it's like we're all doing our best, but God yeah. shouldn't have to suffer so much. So oh god, yeah. The thing is that it definitely shouldn't have been as bad as it should have been. That definitely could have been avoided. Um, had we just talked, but it, it, it's simple. Um, just to put it simply, um, 
we weren't really on good speaking terms um, around that time, so definitely there was a lack of communication. That really made things worse, so there's a variety of different factors that, that were why, but I still didn't deserve it, though. Definitely, no one deserves that. Um, and I know that this person does feel remorseful for what they did, because they told people this, but they just failed to tell me this. So that's why I'm still a little bit like, oh, um, you should tell me this, like, just so that we can become friends again. And But at the end of the day, um, I still don't really have like negative feelings towards them. Like I still wish them the best. I still hope that they're doing well in life and I'm gonna, you know, I'll cheer them off on the sidelines still because I, I very much like to see people grow. I, I, I don't know, I don't hold grudges anymore. Connor talks about owning your own story, but we are not solitary actors in our life story. We are all characters in someone else's story and, and their lived experience. Connor acknowledges this and that our stories impact other people, even when the story involves something as distinct and unique as coming out. The process can involve a lot of shame, a lot of worry about how your whole and authentic self will be accepted by others in their stories. I feel like queer folks and people with experiences of otherness often have to evaluate how they interact with others in ways people who benefit the most from the status quo do not. I also believe it takes many queer and other folks years to be able to learn to own their own story. It also takes a lot of work against dominant ideologies and systems. I know it has certainly taken me many years and I'm not really sure if my story really feels like my own. I think I have a lot I could learn from Connor. His compassion, creativity, and commitment to himself and his identity is admirable. I also love that he can recognize he can own his own story while also acknowledging that his story doesn't exist in isolation. He can be the champion of his own story while also still supporting the hopes and dreams of others. I've definitely been through uh, uh, quite a lot in terms of like, just, I, I mean, like, I don't really feel that grown up. I still feel like I have so much to learn. I, I don't like when people who are like 19 are like, oh, I had to grow up so fast because uh, I'm just I'm just so much more mature than everybody else. And then they do something problematic. And I'm like, mm, you know, you can't do problematic things if you say you're grown up because mm. I you still don't think, say so many stupid shit. What, what? I think we can all I think I I was saying you say you can't do problematic things. if You say you're grown up. I think I think we're all just inherently problematic. I think we are, but yeah. I feel like some people don't want to think that they are because they feel so grown up. And I'm like, no, I think that I, I don't, I feel like you can be mature to a degree. I feel like there are still some problem areas and in, in, in some things we all need to work on as people. Like, we, you know, we're all, we're like you said, like we're all just going through it. Yeah. I think a lot of our world is built on this idea that we were in conflict with each other all the time so yeah. that, like it's reinforced that we're supposed to like feel morally superior than others so it's like you could tie that in with like this you know social justice work and people are like one well, more woke than that person and it's like mm, and then then we get into things like cancel culture where yes. like yeah. people get canceled for like the smallest things yeah. and i'm like oh and i've definitely God. contributed to it what i've definitely contributed to it oh like, God, yeah most people have i know there's I don't know, cancel culture is just such a touchy subject because so many people, like witch hunts have been going on for such a long time for everything under the sun. Um, I feel like some people definitely deserve to be defamed to, yeah, but there's so many different things that, yes, I've contributed to it in a way in terms of like sharing memes about it. Like it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun because 
people like mob people are just fascinated with mob mentality and everyone and when you see someone really going through it um like for instance when i don't know like this year went during like the the makeup industry drama get in with james charles and stuff like i drama get drama get that's what they call it like i was interested in it at first but then when i realized i'm like this is like a this is like a 19 year old boy like he he i know he says he's mature um you know but we all say a bunch of stupid stuff when we're like 19 years old i i think he you know he has every right to grow up as much as everybody else. And I feel like this 30-year-old woman um, went and attacked him online. And, and I don't know. I just didn't – I just thought it was gross. Like, I really uh, – it was – it just was not for me. And I d- had really weird feelings about it. Um, I – James is not – like, he's polarizing for a lot of people because he does get himself into, like, a lot of – like drama with a lot of different things and the things that he says. And I understand how inherently problematic a lot of the things he says. Um, but when you're living online and you have, like I personally, if I were to ever like become famous, I would not have a Twitter, like hand hands down, like, or I would never post what I'm thinking all the time. Like, don't, yeah. don't do that. Like, like even if you believe it, don't let people know that. Like, I don't know. I feel like you just need to police your thoughts better and to filter yourself. And I feel like a lot of people, don't think of that and they post post after post and they share memes after memes and they don't realize how much damage they are doing and it's not going to bode well for them when they are going through that like cancellation phase so well because we live in a world that celebrates cancellation but doesn't celebrate learning or accountability oh god no so it's like uh i'm not sure if you're familiar but there's an article well there's a thing that happened like i think four or five years ago maybe even longer um there's a woman flying she was a marketing professional flying I think, from new york to south africa yeah and she posted on twitter oh i'm going to somewhere in africa i hope i don't get aids and she yeah. posted on twitter and by in the time from when she took off the time she landed she was fired which it like it was a really awful thing you like that's just such a why would you say that post. Yeah. but i read a really interesting follow-up article that interviewed her about how what the impact on that was for her life uh, and i don't think she she definitely had to take accountability and she needed to grow from that and like and there was a lot of harm that could have come from that statement and it just got shared so much but because the news cycle depends on this like flash burn burn flash um it was a really interesting analysis about what she gained from it and how hard it has been for her to, to recover from that. Like she was hard for her to get a job. It was hard for her to like, even though she learned from it and she took accountability, it just, just changed the way she engaged with the world. Completely. Yeah. I think, I, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just thinking that's, I, I, I can't say it's good or bad. I just, it's just, I find it really interesting how that's, that's how a lot of our world works. Yeah. Think of the way that we treat criminals too. I mean, oh you know, we, you know, the, yeah. no one, I feel like once you commit a crime and you get sent to prison, um, that's it. Like you, yeah. it's hard for you to get a job. Like, I mean, you know, you shouldn't have committed the crime, but I do feel like you should reintegrate yourself back into society, uh, just like everybody else. You, just, you know, you're still human. You should still feel a sense of purpose in yeah. whatever it is that you do. And to prevent them from committing more crimes and to reduce the amount of people in prison, I definitely feel like there should be more going towards rehabilitating people so that yeah. they don't commit crimes and so that they can have just as much chance of getting a job as anybody else. I know at the end of the day, 
when you're competing against other people for jobs, they're going to be looking for people with like a clean record. I know it's yeah. it's hard. I mean, even me, like I was, um, I've I've been discriminated against many times going to you know competing for a job or whatever. Like some people were like, oh no, like don't hire him, like because you know he doesn't have enough experience, and it just sucks. Like mm -hmm. I, I know how it feels to just not. Being not to, to not be eligible for something or to be denied constantly, and then think of having a you know a prison sentence on top of that added to your resume or your file like that it makes it even harder. Mm -hmm. So I know that person with you know that making that you know that that little tweet or whatever like mm -hmm. on social media, um, yeah, what she said was awful. Um, but frig, I've said so many like awful things. Like I've said so yeah. many bad things that I'm glad that. I was able to learn from it, and I'm glad I didn't post them on social yeah. media. And yeah. I feel like, you know, we could, you know, someone at the end of this podcast was like, what were the awful things you said? I'm thinking, like, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. I'm sure you said lots of awful things, too. I feel like, you know, we've, we've definitely just, we just grow as people when we realize that, yeah, like, that's a shitty thing to say. And mm -hmm. you just, you learn from it, and you grow, yeah. and you just... I, it's, I think it, we treat people as a need to be responsible on sort of like an equal playing field. So we treat like one person who has a bad tweet the same as we would treat Harvey Weinstein. Mm, and I'm like, yeah. there has to be a different analysis based on their power, their identity, the harm that they've done. Like, yeah. like cancel Harvey Weinstein. Like, cancel, oh, oh cancel yeah, that cancel guy. that guy. Because yeah. I mean, like, he's a fucking first class piece of shit. But <laughs> like, I don't know. There's people who yeah. are just like, oh, like they... um. They supported sugar bear hair vitamins. Oh, let's cancel them. And I'm like, yeah, I know. really? That's that's what we're gonna do. We're going to crucify this this 19 year old boy just because he betrayed his friend Tati, who is like yeah. a, such a. I'm sorry if I keep going back to this, but I, it's just a prime example of like cancellation for something that is a non-issue to me. Yeah. Like that is just such a like the planet's dying. Who cares? Like the planet's dying. Who's cares? Um, exactly. yeah. Like, the planet is dying. Um, focus on the rainforest, you know. Cancel culture is a wild thing. I have never been canceled, but I have certainly done things uh, worth being canceled over. Um, for those who are interested, the individual I referenced earlier on regarding who was uh, fired for her tweet, her name is Justine Sacco, and there's a great article by the New York Times called How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up Justine Sacco's Life. I very much recommend you check it out. A lot of the conversations I read around cancel culture and accountability seem to be framed as either an issue of right or wrong, or as an issue which requires more analysis for nuance. Uh, we live in an increasingly complex world, however, I'm hesitant to, hesitant to say that every issue and thing requires nuance. Being able to dive into something and look for nuance is a privilege. So while I think we live in a complex world and folks need to be accountable, I often feel as though we miss the mark on accountability and individuals become scapegoats. We get to lock up and hunt down the monsters, but we still don't do much to change the systems and environments in which the monsters are grown, or take a look in the mirror and work to move some of that monster out of us. We are all capable of being monsters, and sometimes I believe the system would prefer if we were monsters for each other more often. Most of us now live apart or a lot of our lives online. There are many who depend on life on the internet. 
Throughout the interview, we talk a bit about James Charles and a few other YouTube celebrities. I find their lives to be extremely fascinating. I think as our internet age progresses, how we view accountability is really going to need to shift. Each of us now live our lives, whether or not we like it, online. So how do we recover when we screw up? Up next, Connor talks more about what inspires him. I was always inspired by what I was seeing in, um, for all around me, like, uh, well, even as bat far back as um, when I was living in Germany, uh, one of my best friends at the time, his name was uh, Chris Crabtree, um, and he was like a metalhead, and like he was in a, like he played the drums, um, and I was surrounded by people who liked, you know, like skateboarding and like doing tricks and I just thought like oh my god that's just that's just so cool and that definitely shaped what kind of person I was I really liked edgy things I liked watching jackass I liked um uh I don't know I it's so weird to think about how like I feel more prim and proper with my style but that was never the case when I was younger I was more like oh let's have like ripped pants and let's have this but I feel like I still embody that sometimes especially with drag because the, the wig that I have is not very, like, polished, blonde, like, platinum, well, platinum bleach blonde or whatever. Like, it's not, like, super, super flowy or whatever, but it's just, like, it's spiky. It's got, like, this braid in the back, and I, I don't know, like, I love playing around with it. And uh, I definitely feel like I owe that, that kind of aesthetic to me enjoying the, those kind of, like, punky parts of that I've been exposed to in my earlier years for sure. Cause when I got to travel, I got to meet those kinds of people, go to these kinds of concerts. And even when I went to like Japan, for instance, uh, I was exposed to like so many different types of like uh, subcultures and stuff like going into like I, that I've known for a long time, uh, but going there and actually being in like Harajuku and, and seeing all like the, the, the way that people choose to style themselves. It's, it's so cool. It's just a, it's a melting pot of the different cool um, subcultures that have been inspired by many different things from Western culture to anime to a whole amalgamation of different things for sure. Getting to see Connor perform as Cobra Clawfield was a really great moment. Cobra is unlike any other drag queen I've ever gotten to see live. Her identity and expression definitely seem to be something of a distillation of Connor's experiences from around the world and his inspirations from pop culture and media. Going beyond discussions of Cobra and uh, things that have inspired him, I asked Connor, what are his core values? Yeah, don't be an asshole. Stay hydrated. Um... Uh, I don't know, live your truth. Um, as long as that truth doesn't offend people, I feel like at the end of the day, just I'm just a chill person. I feel like at the end of the day, I respect people's way of life. Um, and <laughs> I know I'm not perfect. Uh, I know I crave validation. And <laughs> um, that's definitely feel, I feel like a lot of people are that, but they don't really like to take ownership of that. It's just, uh, as an artist, it's one of those things you you feel like you want your art and you want your you want your passions to be validated so that you know you're doing the right thing. But all like I wouldn't say that that's a core value, but it definitely is a big part of who I am. Um, but at the same time, I I don't like to you know fish for compliments or anything like that. I, I like to you know be nice, and hopefully that gets 
uh, that gets reciprocated. Yeah, so yeah, just be respectful at the end of the day. That's like the core value of that represents me for sure. I draw from what I like, not from what everyone else is doing. So I think like what, what are the things that inspire me the most? And I'm like, well, I enjoy, um, I really enjoy like the whole new wave like in punk aesthetic um, and I like it and that's something I want to incorporate into in, in, into like my drag for instance and on the things that I draw and uh, I'd say anime I know that's not everyone's favorite thing in the world and when I bring it up people are either like I like Pokemon I like Sailor Moon or I used to um, but I don't it's one of those things that I I sometimes I, I feel like I'm I'm very careful of mentioning when I'm around other people because some people are like oh like that's weird or I don't like that um, or they're just you know it's not going to cause any kind of conversation or whatever but at the end of the day they're things that I enjoy and they're things that I'll continue to incorporate into my passion so drag for instance and and the things that I draw and just all my artistic pursuits like I'm always drawn to the things that I enjoy I don't care if they're loved or embraced by everyone um, because they're what make me myself. And I know some people are going to like it. Some people are not going to. I'm not meant to be embraced by everyone. I feel like I'm meant to be embraced by uh, a niche group of, of people who get me. And I'd rather, I, I'd rather, I'd rather that, to be honest. I don't want everybody. I want, I want the people who I feel like I can inspire like I want to inspire like a few if I inspire at least one person out of a group of a hundred I'm happy like that 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 really matters most I believe Connor is really on his way to inspiring many more people he certainly inspired me when I saw him perform at the swine it, his performance was beyond anything else there and while they're really really great performances his was just different and interesting and it kind of reflects to me how things in I guess queer culture are changing and I'm excited to see where it goes and I'm glad Connor's a part of it. We finished our interview discussing how Connor's experience of otherness influences his dating and romantic life. I sometimes I'm not palatable or digestible for certain people because they can't get past it like it's and the thing is I understand because I feel like we all have our own reservations as people like we you know when we meet someone there there's just there's certain things that we we often pick at because I feel like inherently sometimes we can have superficial like attributes about ourselves so I think well if I'm gonna be like that I have to kind of feel about that with other people too um, and it's one of those things that it's it's affected my life in positively and negatively I feel like my quirkiness and otherness has made people fond of me because they think like oh my god like definitely this is this is not what I expected from them like they are they are pretty um, it, it, they're unique and that my uniqueness does attract people and then they do get to see like my hair and a, there's a lot of people that do applaud it um, and and they like style wise like they enjoy it um, and my quirkiness and all of that like all the things that make up me essentially um, they, they do enjoy and embrace um, but it's it's usually kind of like that um, like it's like a job interview really though in a way like the first date kind of feels like a job interview it's like you you, you definitely 
you check to see how well they're good at socializing with people, like throughout the day, common interests, because it's like it's like a job interview for for being um, a compatible partner for, for for a person. So, at the end of the day, um, you know you can check all the boxes, or at the end of the day, like they might not check all your boxes, and you'll just be on your merry way and you'll ghost each other. But um, I've definitely. Um, I'd say like my quirkiness has worked more into my favor. Um, it uh, it definitely helps that I have a strong jawline, so that kind of helps. That I'm like I enjoy that part about me. I mean, like there there's some things it's like eh, we can do without that, but like everything else, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I I'd say like my dating life is uh, it's it's. It's polarizing. Like I don't keep saying that though, but it's like very like, like it's it's hit or miss really. I feel like everybody is like that. Not everyone's gonna you know be loved by everybody. It's you know you're you're gonna be you're gonna find the one who really appreciates everything about you. And um, uh, I have yet to really find that person who really wants to be there for the long haul, or you know even for just a you know a year or whatever. Like any time. Like I. I also kind of took a bit of a break from dating too, as well, just because uh, I know I'm trying to sort out my life. I try to want to have a, you know, more stable work life. Uh, I want to do more drag. I want to do more art, just so that like I'm more stable. And then eventually, once I you know make more of an income, um, I'd like to you know I definitely like to have more of a, a stable relationship with somebody and then go traveling with them and I don't know I there's a lot of plans that I'd like to have for a relationship and I feel like I'm already started planting the seed for a life that could very that could make me feel comfortable about obtaining a a, a partner at some point Connor is unique. His style and his hair are magnificent, but he's more than that. He's thoughtful, creative, and analytical, but he also does have a killer jawline. You can find Connor on Instagram at Cobra Clawfield and at Conmina. Follow Cobra through her adventures in gender bendy drag amazingness and follow Connor's artist account at Conmina to see his amazing illustrations. Many thanks to Connor for having me over and letting me ask him a bunch of questions. I really hope listeners out there follow his accounts and see for themselves how our world is a better place for having Connor and Cobra in it. I look forward to seeing more of the amazing things coming from Connor and Cobra in the years to come. Each episode of Quirky and or Queer takes about 6-10 to hours to record, edit, and produce. I enjoy it, but it takes a lot of time, and I could use some support. If you have the ability and or interest, you can check out and support this podcast and my creative work by heading over to patreon.com backslash QAOQ. Shout out to my main sponsor, my mother, who continues to let me live in her house and embraces all my quirkiness and queerness. There is literally glitter everywhere. Well, not really, but sort of. Many thanks to For the Tide uh, for being a Patreon contributor. It really makes a difference. And also thanks to Fieldnote for the quirky and or queer title track. 
Oh, there is a great new Instagram account called Hallie Queer Nection. I really think you should check it out. The account is a space here in Halifax, Nova Scotia for queer folks to post what and who they are looking for. I even hear there might be some events coming up. So the best way to stay in the know is check out their Instagram page at Hallie Queer Nection. Thanks for listening and please subscribe, share the podcast with friends, family, uh, and give me a rating on Facebook and Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps. So until next time, thanks for listening to Quirky and or Queer.